from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the CER Podcast. My name is Sophia Besch. I'm a research fellow here at the Center for European Reform. And today I'm in conversation with Charles Grant, the CES Director. Hello, Charles. Hi. So the CER has just published a major new report titled Relaunching the EU, which lays out a detailed and comprehensive proposal for reform of the European Union, both in terms of policies and with regard to the EU's institutions and structures. Charles, why did you want to write this report? What is its purpose and what are the main themes? I think the time is ripe for the EU to think seriously about renewing itself and relaunching for a number of reasons. On the one hand, the problems the EU faces are well known. The Eurozone isn't through the woods yet. Migration is still an issue. Brexit has created a real challenge. So has Catalonia. The need to reform the EU to make its institutions and its policies less unpopular, if not more popular with voters, is clear. At the same time, the opportunities for reform are, I think, unprecedentedly positive. You have the arrival of Emmanuel Macron, a young president with lots of ideas and enthusiasm committed to the success of the EU. You have the re-election of Angela Merkel, a very experienced, wise and authoritative leader. And you have a feeling of solidarity created by the problems of Brexit and Trump have both made European leaders feel they have quite a lot in common. On top of that, The Eurozone is having a relatively good phase at the moment. It's actually growing quite fast and the worst of the refugee crisis has been abated. Therefore, while the need for reform is pretty evident to everybody, the opportunities are rather greater than they usually are. So the report talks about quite a few policies in detail, but I wanted to talk with you today about the reforms proposal for a more flexible European Union. You write that the EU needs to become more flexible and member states should not all have to sign up to the same policies. What do you mean by that concretely? What are examples for policy areas that include some member states but not others? Well, already there is some flexibility. Not everybody's in the euro. Not everybody does defense cooperation. The Danes opt out of that. Not everybody's in all parts of the banking union or the Schengen arrangements and so on. So there's already some flexibility. But until now, everybody's subscribed to the dogma that everybody will do the same things in the long run, except for Britain and Denmark having an opt out from the euro. That's more or less been the case. And I think that it's time to be more flexible, meaning that the EU should not be multi-speed everybody moving in the same direction, some more slowly than others, but multi-track, meaning some don't actually necessarily want, even in the long term, to go where everybody else wants to go. And I think in the very long run, it may be that Poland and Sweden just won't want to join the euro. Maybe that Denmark will not want to take part in police cooperation even 20 years from now. So I think we need to recognize that in an EU of 27 members, it needs to be flexible enough to respond to the evolving objectives and priorities of the different member states. And if the EU pushes forward the idea which Mr Juncker, the Commission President, has spread, that everybody has to sign up for everything, at least in the long run, then the EU may be seen as an overarching, oppressive juggernaut imposing uniformity on an entire continent. I'm saying that if the EU recognizes that some countries won't want to go the whole way and will want to stop off on the integration path a certain way down it before they get to the end, then that's probably the kind of EU that's going to be more sustainable in the very long run. But to answer your point about specific policies, I think corporate taxation is an area where we may well need to see differentiation, not everybody doing the same thing. I mean, some countries will want to harmonize their economic policies and good luck to them. Others will not want to 
to take part. Those wanting to harmonise policies would wish that everybody would sign up to a minimum level of corporate tax, for example, but I think if they wait for everybody to do that, they'll wait forever, so why not an avant-garde group go ahead in that area? The same could apply to intelligence cooperation or the security databases that governments need to drop information about uh, potential criminals and terrorists and so on. There's a number of areas where you could do it, but I accept there's a limit to how far you can go. I think that if the single market is to be sustainable and effective, you need to have certain policies that everybody must sign up to. The single market, competition policy, trade policy, probably environmental rules, and I would say foreign policy. There has to be a minimum that everybody must do, but beyond that, a lot of extra policies perhaps some existing members could opt out of, and some non-members perhaps could even opt into. That's also what I'm saying. Right, I want to pick up on that a little bit later, but first, not everyone is on board with this commitment to more flexibility at the moment, and there's criticism coming from both sides of the spectrum, really. On the one hand, the diehard federalists, you've already mentioned Jean-Claude Juncker, but on the other hand, also more Eurosceptic countries, uh, governments in Central and Eastern Europe. Could you just run us through their arguments? What is their criticism? Well, it's easier for me to understand the opposition of the what you refer to as the die-hard federalists. This is the traditional federalist view of the world, born when the EU was much smaller, with a more a limited group of West European member states. The Jacques Delors philosophy that everybody should do everything, and that the EU is on a progression towards a perfectly integrated state on a federal model. Nothing wrong with that idea, except I don't think it's going to give us an EU that's flexible enough, with 27-plus members, to respond to the many challenges that lie ahead. And it kind of assumes that every member state will have similar objectives and a similar philosophy for what it wants to get out of European integration, which I think is unrealistic. But that is the model of the Federalists. So they don't like the flexible model I've been talking about, which, by the way, has also been put forward by Emmanuel Macron in several recent speeches. There's a second sort of opposition to what I'm saying, which I find a little harder to understand, though I'm trying to understand it, which is from some of the Central European countries, particularly Poland and Hungary, who fear that in a multi-track Europe with an inner circle built around the Eurozone, that those countries not in the Euro will be left outside as second-class citizens, inferior members, looked down upon and patronised by the big boys in the top table. That is understandable, and I can see why some Poles in particular worry about this being a Macron-driven initiative, because relations are now, frankly, rather poor between Warsaw and Paris. But I do believe in the long run it could actually suit the Poles quite well. Why should the Poles have to join the Euro? If they don't want to join the Euro, why should they? Maybe some future members of the EU in the Balkans, maybe they shouldn't really be in the Schengen arrangement, at least for a few decades to come, and maybe not the Euro either. Why force everybody into the same pattern and the same mould? But it is true that there is opposition from both diehard federalists and Central European Eurosceptics. But there's also a lot of support. I mean, I just was recently talking to people in the Italian government. They're very sympathetic by just talking to people in the Austrian government. They are not unsympathetic. And I think that in the long run, it's almost inevitable that we're going to have more differentiation, especially if enlargement resumes, as I hope it does. And in fact, one of the advantages of the model I'm talking about is that it may allow enlargement to resume if Balkan countries didn't have to join every EU policy and could opt out of, say, freedom of movement, there'd be a lot less opposition to extending the EU's boundaries to the south and to the east than there is today. So allowing countries to become three-quarters members rather than members might allow enlargement to resume in a very positive way. So this is the long term. In the medium and short term, what could Western European countries like France and Italy and Germany and Austria do to alleviate some of the concerns of the Central and Eastern Europeans? 
Well, you're right. There is a hostility in some parts of Central Europe to this idea. So I think it's incumbent upon those who believe in it and those who are certainly going to be at the core to alleviate the concerns of the Central Europeans by making quite clear that if any country wishes to join an avant-garde group and it can satisfy certain objective criteria, it should be able to do so without any hindrance. So every club must be open to every member state that meets objective criteria. And secondly, I think it's important that those in the inner clubs must must make clear that they don't regard those not in the inner club as second-class citizens. And just because you're not in the euro, it doesn't mean that when it comes to discussions on EU trade policy, your views count for less than a country in the euro. So the institutions of the eurozone, as they develop, mustn't come to boss around, dominate and push around the institutions of the EU, which will remain very important for those aspects of policy which are handled by the EU as a whole and all the membership. Right, okay. And finally, one thing that has come up throughout your responses, what would this model, this more flexible EU, mean for third countries, for partner countries of the EU, for not quite members or former members like the UK, for example? Well, I'm declaring an interest as a British citizen. I do think that this more flexible EU that we've been discussing could help the British and others on the rim of Europe to find a sustainable place to sit within the European family of countries. I do believe that, much as I regret this, the chances of Britain becoming a full member of the EU in the next 10 or 20 years are very slim indeed, and it's highly unlikely that'll happen. But if I am correct in saying that the EU is building a multi-tiered Europe with several categories of membership and some towards the outer rim of the EU involving less than total commitment to all EU policies, then that outer rim could become quite attractive to a country like Britain or Norway or Ukraine or Switzerland or others that really don't want to be full EU members but want to be closely tied into the EU. And one can debate which policies the outer rim would consist of and which would be relevant to it. But I don't see why Britain wouldn't want to be part of the single market and perhaps aspects of the common trade policy and common foreign policy while choosing not to be in a number of others. At the moment, of course, this is not politically sustainable because in Britain, nobody's talking about rejoining the EU or parts of it. I regret that, but that's the political reality. We're talking about how to leave it. Equally, on the continent of Europe, very few member states are right now concocting schemes to get the British to be closer to the club once the British leave. And many of the governments I speak to amongst the 27 want to push the British out sooner rather than later and make a clean break of it and move on to do other more interesting things like build a united Europe. But in the very long run, I believe that when the British have experienced the chill winds of solitude and when they've noticed that life outside the EU is not very good for their economy or their influence in the world, and equally when the 27 or however many members there are then in several years down the road, when the 27 realise that keeping the British at arm's length is actually quite damaging or at least suboptimal for their own economic welfare and their own security interests, then the two sides will start to think about how to get closer together. And I think a multi-tiered EU with several concentric circles around the Eurozone of decreasing levels of integration is the kind of place where the British may well end up in 10 or 20 years time. And of course that would not just be the British but there would be other third countries like Turkey for example you mentioned in the report that could benefit from this model as well. Well I was recently in Turkey talking to some quite senior Turkish diplomats and they would love 
to, to go for a British-style outer rim of the EU model for their future. I mean, I think the reality is Turkey's never going to become a full member of the EU. It just wouldn't fit in. It's not what the Turkish people want. It's not what European people want. But why shouldn't Turkey join an outer tier of the EU that would give it closer association than it has today? Today it's in the customs union already, or a customs union with the EU, but why shouldn't it be much closer than it is today without becoming a full member? And I think my concluding point really is that there need to be several different levels of membership in the future. And that is complicated. It is messy. It does have implications for budgets with different levels having their own budget, but Macron is already pushing very strongly for the Eurozone to have its own budget. It does have implications for accountability and democracy as well, with some of these inner circles having their own institutions, and Macron has floated the idea of a parliamentary assembly just for the Eurozone. It is complicated, but I believe in the long run the EU will not be viable unless it becomes more supple and more flexible. And I think it's the Macron ideas and the, the ideas pushed forward in the CR report would allow the EU to survive and be quite effective for the long term. It shouldn't be too brittle. That's the message we have in this report. Avoid brittleness. Charles Grant, thank you very much. You can also listen to a conversation I've had with John Springford and Luigi Scazzieri, uh, who have contributed to this report on the topic of the EU's migration policies. And you can read the whole report relaunching the EU on the CER website. If you enjoy listening to the CER podcast, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud or iTunes. And while you're there, please leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find us. And you can also let us know what you think on Twitter at CER underscore EU. Mm -hmm.